1: Many organisations use approaches like, what's the name of your first pet or what school did you go to? The challenge, of course, is that people forget the answers to those questions and also a motivated fraudster can go ahead and find the answer in many cases through different methods. So the approach we took was to say, what is it that we can present to you that isn't just memorable, but is also frictionless and in some cases enjoyable for you to do?
0: To a thai Swiss rattle, it's an Afrikaans expression that, literally translated, means as tough as a honey badger. That link may have needed a little more explanation were it not for the classic YouTube meme, the crazy, nasty-ass honey badger, narrated by Randall, that showcased the powers of this nearly indestructible beast to the world. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers, with Brendan Lagrange. Matt Salisbury, CEO and co-founder of Honey Badger. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Brendan. It's wonderful to be here.
0: I introduced you there as the co-founder of Honey Badger, which is of course true, but it's also an incomplete summary of your entrepreneurship track record. So before we talk about how you're now ferociously fighting fraud, tricky one to have put there in the script, but would you indulge me a bit on your background, what you were doing before Honey Badger
1: Yes yeah, sure so I've had quite a an active career let's say originally born in the UK in Manchester and started working in tech soon after I graduated from university started in in London but then After a few years, moved to Sydney and spent five years working and traveling around the Asia-Pacific region. And throughout that time, I was working very much with technology, data, analytics, smart cities being the kind of focus area. But then I actually moved to San Francisco after that with my work and spent another five years there. And that's really where I got into the mindset of thinking more like an entrepreneur and tackling some of these challenges myself rather than doing it for other people. But as part of my journey and time in San Francisco, I started a company called Entropy, which was around customer experience, around consultation and collecting survey data from people. And eventually that was acquired by Civica, a large kind of UK company. So Honey Badger really is the second time round for myself and my team.
0: What is Honey Badger? And what was the gap in the market that you saw and wanted to fill with it?
1: One of the first questions that people ask is why are we called Honey Badger? And if you're familiar with the animal, it's very kind of persistent, it's intelligent, and in some ways, it's quite an aggressive animal that can really hold its own. And we had the mindset and the mentality that when we founded Honey Badger, we wanted to fight on behalf of our customers to help protect them against fraud and to give them the tools and support needed to fight back. That was our mentality, and it became our philosophy, and hence it became our name. In terms of the opportunity that we saw, going back to when we founded Entropy, one of the things that we did was push out or create software that was used for surveys or consultation by governments with the community. And what we saw very much during that that work was overseas bad actors would try and sway results. This isn't a new kind of concept. We've seen it at the political level before, but it actually happens at the community level with overseas bad actors trying to sway the outcomes of surveys or just disrupt them. It's very difficult in many cases to prove that somebody is who they say they are or they claim to be, especially when you don't have two-factor or multi-factor or any previous kind of knowledge on that person. And so we saw an opportunity for technology that could play a role in helping organizations really prove who somebody is, is who they're claiming to be, but do that in a frictionless way. Because there are technologies to help do that, but they're so disruptive to the customer experience that often they're not actually helpful. And so we saw an opportunity to be creative and innovative and bring something to the table that could really play into that aspect
0: of what I'm quite interested in as well is we said there. this is your second go at entrepreneurship. You were a successful entrepreneur before you exited, you had some time being an advisor, consultant, and now it's the second bite. Now, I've not been a founder myself, but I've got two kids that I guess... The first time you have a child, you almost do it without quite knowing the challenges that are there. And then that sort of allows you to take on this new stage of your life. But then when it comes to the decision to have a second child, you're going in with your eyes open. In some ways better because you've learned a bit, in some ways worse because you know what's to come. So for you, your honey badger now about a year old, what's that experience been like founding a second business, going into the startup game again with your eyes wide open?
1: The benefit comes when talking to investors, raising money, getting the support that you need, because you've already got a track record. You've got previous investors who can support you and are willing to support you. And that makes that part of it much easier. And just the fact that you're experienced, how to navigate those initial kind kind of complex situations. So that's the good part of it. But then the other side to that is... To grow a business, any business, you have to have a really solid product. You have to be able to convince people, convince the market to buy that, and you have to address the problems that the market has. And honestly, that doesn't become any easier. You have to be on your game every day, listening to people, having conversations, adapting, pivoting in some cases, if need be, and continuously be willing to work and to adjust and improve. How effectively you can do that determines your success. Of course, I've got some of the same team members, so I know I've got people I can trust. It takes a little bit of the stress away in that sense. But certainly, you're a bit wiser, but the challenges are still there. We had a saying with our previous organization when we would go into kind of opportunities and we'd have a sales pitch and we'd do a proposal. We had this saying where we'd say, no news is good news. So if they haven't heard back from the customer, we haven't heard a no, that's probably good news we've not heard back. But actually, what I can tell you now is that when you have no news, it's really just a delay before the bad news. And because of that, I can take action and find ways to work around those situations. So we're not just waiting for a no. But it's things like that, where you learn that experience, but then you ultimately have to adapt and go, well, if you don't get any news back from a customer, what are you going to do to try and fix or correct that that opportunity?
0: Let's talk about those products then that you're building this time around, as we said in the intro there around geo-authentication. But what does geo-authentication mean for those of us that might be on the user side or those of us who have a online KYC problem we want to solve now looking for ways that don't involve yeah, your mother's maiden name and the, the old favourites.
1: Yeah, geo-authentication is a really unique product for pretty much any financial institution, whether it's in the consumer finance or through to the traditional more banking sense. At some point in time, you usually are in a situation where you need to prove somebody is who they claim to be. And you often rely on asking people Questions that they should know the answer to. What's your mother's maiden name, as we said, or what's the name of your first pet or what school did you go to? There's a whole variety of questions there which are commonly used by the industry. The challenge, of course, is that people forget the answers to those questions and also a motivated fraudster can go ahead and find the answer in many cases through different methods. And you do actually see that in some cases, you get organizations like Equifax that can go a little bit deeper. They can do what's called dynamic knowledge-based authentication. And maybe they can look at your bank statements and ask you, have you done a transaction for this amount on a certain day? Or how much do you pay against your mortgage each month, et cetera? And that's a little bit better. But ultimately, people often don't get those questions right, especially when it's on the spot. So the approach we took was to say, what is something that you should know? that you should always know, you'll never forget, that we can present to you that isn't just memorable, but is also frictionless or very easy, and in some cases, enjoyable for you to do. And we took this concept of, okay, if you live at a certain place, or you know a certain area, then why don't we go ahead and grab different images from that area? And we're talking Google Street View images, in many cases, these are images that aren't easily searchable, You'd have to walk around and try and get to know a place if you're going to do it yourself. But we'll go ahead and we'll use our intelligence AI to go and find images from a location that people who live nearby should recognize. And then we put those images in a lineup with other images from different parts of the country that look similar. And for a user, they simply click the images that they recognize and we can then compare the results and see if they've passed that challenge. And it makes that whole experience of knowledge-based authentication really straightforward, really easy, and really powerful in many ways, because we can also generate totally different images or totally different challenges each time. It's not the same questions over and over again. And in a nutshell, that's what geo-authentication does.
0: I've run afoul of the verification process before once. I think I've spoken about on the show before, but we were moving house I paid for the movers and the movers arrived and they got there and said, we still haven't got the payment. We're not going to load the truck until that's sorted. And the bank, I'd made the transfer from my internet banking, but the bank had put a freeze on it and I hadn't noticed. And I thought I'd paid. I hadn't. The movers are there. It's a big rush. So I phoned in to get the payment cleared and it went through these things. As you said, the bank has more data. So it wasn't my mother's maiden name, but it's things like yeah, what was the last transaction on your credit card account? Or what day was it? Or they'd ask you, like, what is the email address we have on record? And then you were like, I can't remember if I've updated them or did I use my work address? And you say, it could be this or it could be that. And they said, no, we have to enter one in and then we don't know if you're right or wrong. Anyway, long story short, I failed the verification. There was a branch not too far from my house. I had to run down to the branch and show my driver's license, passport and whatever else there to get it done. And it was really... A painful process. The questions that were being asked were valid, but certainly not part of my day to day life, like just the natural environment around me. And I think, especially true if we think historically, ask me what my last postcode was or my last address, and I'm going to be a bit hazy. Certainly my last phone numbers, no chance of remembering that. But you could show the streets or the neighborhood that I grew up in as a child. I'm going to remember that. So I think, as an idea, it's got a lot of potential. I guess. One worry would be, obviously, as per there, I've moved around a lot and we've moved into the house we're in now just a couple of months ago. So would that be a barrier? Would would I need to be well established in my neighborhood to, to be able to pass these tests?
1: Yeah, there are ways around that. A challenge doesn't have to be generated based on your current address, for one. It could be based upon an address you've previously lived. It could be an office place, somewhere you've spent time during your childhood, whatever different ways and different places you can generate challenges for. That's one aspect of it. Of course, if you, let's say creating an application for a loan and you're trying to, we want to prove as part of that KYC process that you live at the address that you specified, then we want to generate that challenge based upon the address you provide. And there's a few things we can do. We can make challenges harder or easier. We can tweak it so that we grab more distinct landmarks, for example. In many cases, we, we don't want to do that because we don't want to make it too easy. And in, in that case, maybe you'll fail that challenge and then we'll revert to some other technology to validate you. And that's okay, because that really is a kind of an outlier in this relative to the, the general types of challenges we do. But certainly there, there are things we can change on our side, different ways of making it easier or harder. And then really just a, another a note to, to bear in mind is we have a patent pending on this, and it, it actually extends well beyond just using imagery. We can take other information, such as maybe a local coffee shop nearby that you visited or a supermarket. We could ask you, how long does it take you to walk there or drive there? Is that uphill or downhill? There's all these different types of derived information that we could in theory generate that you only you should know. And so we can look at other ways of asking questions that don't necessarily rely on you having known the area for a long time.
0: Yeah. And what I like about that is that, obviously you're always living somewhere. When you think of history in the traditional sense, like when did you last open a credit card account is a question I've been asked. And I happen to know because I opened my credit cards when I moved to the UK. Now I've given away that. So now fraudsters know my answers to that question. But in normal thinking, like when did you open an account is a one sort of thing in history that the further along it goes, the harder it is for us to place. And even if you say in the last six months, how many accounts did you open? When something was opened, seven, eight months ago, nine months ago, or three months ago, That can be hard because it's like a once off event that drifts further and further from your mind. But the neighborhood you lived in, it's a continuous process where you're building these memories. Maybe what we could even do is try that and do a bit of a demo. I'm terrible at remembering these questions of verifications. So, definitely, I am somebody who would love a solution that is based more on real life events. That said, I'm terrible with direction. So this is a good test. I think if I can pass it, then you don't need to be a local genius.
1: Yes, let me go ahead then and we'll do a live demo and see if you actually pass. So what I'll do is I'll explain as I go for people that are listening in and can't see the screen. But essentially, I'm going to open up our demo interface here and type in a postcode that you provided to me. And what you'll notice is that the technology now goes away and it's finding images from nearby to that address. And it's finding images that hopefully you'll recognize and then grabbing other images that look similar from different parts of the country and then putting them together into this kind of nine, three by three grid with nine images total.
0: Yeah. And just for those listening, it's very similar in concept to the Are a Robot check. So I've got nine images here. Immediately, I can see middle left hand side, a grocery store I used to go to very frequently. So I know that. I'd say middle right as well. It looks like a couple of coffee shops on the high street that would pass fairly often. And I'd say bottom middle is down the bottom of the high street where I used to finish a lot of my bike rides. So I can recognize them, but the pictures themselves all look very similar. They're all from similar UK towns.
1: I'll click submit then and let's see if you pass that challenge because we do have a time limit. So hit, go, and you've passed that. But the good news is that in this situation, you did recognize the images from that postcode and you passed. And you can see from that, that someone like myself who has never lived there, those images, are, it would have been a wild guess. Yeah, and
0: as you are setting it up, I could see there there's a toggle for how hard you want to be at. So in a, a loan situation, you can make it stricter. If you're doing something far less risky for the business, you can make it easier. But you've certainly got to stop. And look, I said there at the start, it's a bit like the... Are your robot tests? Obviously, there it's like a fire hydrant. It's not a challenging thing to do. You just click the things and you go. This does force you to look because it is similar. They could all fit together. You could easily have told me that those nine were from the same place. So people would believe you. So you do have to have that local knowledge. You also want to feel slightly challenged. I mean, it's always a pain to go through the process, but you do want to feel secure, right? So you do also appreciate when somebody asked you a question that feels challenging. And I think that really does strike that nice balance.
1: Now, of course, if you see an image that isn't particularly useful, for example, this top left one, you may that say that's not a great image to, to make a decision based off of. So you could actually go ahead and swap that out for a different image and it'll grab a new one for us it does happen from time to time. It's usually, let's say, a large truck is parked in front of the Google Street View camera or something like that. And we do have image classification that we run across these images and we can filter out and see that there's not much detail in the, in the image. So therefore, it's probably not very useful. And that's one mechanism. The other is we can actually add the option to swap images in and out. And you would have maybe seen there's a, there's a button next to each image there. And so a user themselves could say this isn't useful swap it out for a different one and we grab a totally different image. So we we have mechanisms in place to, to counter that situation.
0: Yeah, a much better experience than sitting on there trying to remember when last I opened a credit card account. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? role when I started working was in credit card fraud prevention, far enough ago that literally when the internet opened up as a channel, we just made it as painful as possible so that consumers would go via our branch like the old days, because we didn't have any idea how to restrict fraud, but the volumes were so tiny that it was perfectly acceptable. Obviously, that isn't the case anymore. People have to have processes that work online and that work like everything else does that we do online. We obviously understand that in the banking world, we need to verify a little bit more than just can I identify a fire hydrant, but we used to very fast processes to get things done, not, okay, now phone this number and tell me these things that you struggle to remember. When you are implementing the Honey Badger solution in terms of a sort of a customer workflow, what does that look like in practice? Maybe you can talk a little bit about how it's been implemented, how that fits in with some customers. And what's that early reception been like? I think one of the hard parts of selling fraud solutions, to some extent collection solutions, is those tend to be the most conservative people in an organization, the people that see what goes wrong when people make decisions to to benefit the customer. For 20 years, the worst case scenario. So they tend to be a bit conservative. And now you're bringing this very new uh, approach here.
1: What we've seen, I think the industry's seen, over the recent years is that there's a lot of challenger organizations out there now. And whether it's in the finance space, consumer finance, or whether it's traditional banking sense, and these organizations are almost like startups. They are basically tech first organizations, and they think and act very differently to those traditional banking institutions. And because of that, they are open to new ways of doing things. And especially if those new ways help improve the customer experience because that's actually what they compete on. People go and open up new bank accounts with these challenger brands. It's the customer experience that really attracts them and keeps them banking with them, because you don't have those limitations of having to go in branch, et cetera. And the other really part of this, and this is how we've evolved, Amplify Capital, a customer of ours, and they operate the brands My Community Finance and Revo, which are loan providers. Now, we started working with them to stop fraud and using geo-authentication to do that. But what they immediately latched onto and recognized was that one of the biggest challenges for loan providers is that people abandon or drop out of the application process because the experience or the friction is too high. They realized that actually they could use geo-authentication as a way to perform KYC. And if people pass that, they can actually bypass some of the more traditional checks, maybe document uploads and that kind of process, which is very high friction. And because of that, they can directly move the needle on revenue. They're thinking about this, not just as a cost to the business in the in sense of investing to stop fraud, but actually how do we invest to stop fraud, but also increase revenue because we're eliminating friction, reducing abandonment and getting more people for it to have loans, et cetera. So to have a totally different mindset and I think because they're becoming so competitive, that will actually end up forcing those traditional institutions to adapt, to change or to shut
0: down. We're so used to such good service everywhere else that it needs to catch up and we give a little bit more, particularly the older folk among us, we remember the days when it was truly terrible to get a banking product. So we see the improvements that the industry's made, but certainly we also see where some of the other one-click solutions are, and we want to get somewhere in between at least. Talking through the demo there, you've, one, the way that you select the images and screen those, but two, then you've got the image recognition, and three, you've got all sorts of analytics and technology sitting behind your solutions. And indeed, when I went to the Honey Badger HQ website, click the About Us page, you list technologists first among everything. So obviously it's a tech first Uh, company. But what is your technology, your data, and your analytics philosophy there?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost, our high-level philosophy is that we believe data ultimately is a great way of stopping fraud and solving some of the challenges that we've talked about. But we have another side to that, which is really that data itself isn't enough. What we also need is domain knowledge and context. Otherwise, you end up with really a solution that's being built in a vacuum, which doesn't take into account the nuances of the different industries you're working with. And the other kind of part of our philosophy is that we partner with our customers to bring in their domain knowledge and then build solutions, which ultimately have data element, best in class data and machine learning elements with their domain and industry knowledge. And that's what we've done with Amplify Capital. It's what we've done with other brands as well. And I always say to the people I speak with, look, challenge us to to solve a problem. Let's work together and put our heads together because we've got some of the best technologists, you've got some of the best data at hand, and also some of the best domain knowledge. And so that is our kind of high-level philosophy. When we drill down into how we then operate or implement that for our customers, as you'd expect, we're 100% cloud-based. We use no virtual machines, everything's service-based. And so we have a philosophy that is agile in the sense that we can build, prototype, and deploy very quickly, but we can also scale very quickly as well. And we can have deployments in different countries and be receptive to our customers and their needs. So we're very modern in that approach. And then the final thing to mention is, we track everything that we create. We look and we monitor, we look at how people use it. Where do people struggle? Is there ways we can improve our user interface? Are there bugs that we can identify without people having to submit them to us through forms? And then we feed that back into our product development and into our roadmap and we fix those and we refine. And so we use data in that aspect for that continuous improvement cycle.
0: But Matt, we've spoken primarily about your authentication. It's not the only fraud defensive arrow that you have in your quiver. So maybe you can also just talk a little bit about how you take that technology, how you take the analytics and the insights you have, and what other fraud tools are you using?
1: Really, really fast growing area of our business is the what we've built around mobile intelligence which basically means we can take a phone number and we can determine risk associated with that phone number. It could be fraud, identity risk. It could also be, in some cases, credit risk and how likely is somebody to repay a loan based upon the attributes we see. Ultimately, what we have is integrations with mobile network operators around the world, for example, where we can go ahead and check Is a number being forwarded? Is it overseas? Has the SIM being swapped? And we can even go to the level of taking some personal information, first name, last name, date of birth and postcode or zip code, and comparing that against what the mobile network operators have on file. And so we've really invested in that part of our business because there's so many insights you can get there. It's instant to do, but it's also frictionless. And the mobile network operators have some amazing data because it's often very up-to-date. So to have somebody, let's say, apply for something and then to instantly check and go, does this match what Vodafone and EE or Verizon or whoever have on file, and then confirm, that gives you a lot more confidence that you're actually dealing with the right person. And then you can move them through that onboarding process much quicker. And then we orchestrate all of that together. So you've got that the the KYC, the mobile intelligence, and then you've got the geo-authentication part of that, which could come into play if they fail one of those earlier tests or you just want more confidence that it's who they claim to be. So that's really where we've invested recently as well.
0: A lot of interesting stuff here for people in that side of the lending game. If somebody wants to speak to you, Matt, or just to learn more, about the Honey Badger projects, maybe wants to go and try or have a look and see that visual test in a bit more detail. Where can somebody go to, to learn more?
1: welcome to visit our website, which is honeybadgerhq.com. That has some material there. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. I love to chat to people on LinkedIn and just catch up and make connections there. The other thing that I'm happy to do is introduce people to some of our customers, the, the institutions that we work with, Amplify Capital, for example, have great relationships there. So if you ever want to speak to somebody that's doing this and has done it and is getting the results and the impact and you want to learn from what they're doing, I can also make introductions and we do attend events. So there's lots of ways to connect with Honey Badger.
0: I'll put the details in the show notes as well. Matt, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks for having me. And just like to say, I love your podcast. So please keep up the great work because it's very informative for people like myself. So thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much for those kind words. And anyone else who loves it, do follow it on the players as well, not just listen one at one. But yeah, thank you again, Matt. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favourite podcast platform, and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan Lagrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www. How to Lend Money to strangers. Show or just www.htlmts.show and I'll see you again next Thursday.